as a sniper, like being able to see something and the intent behind it was more personal. Every sniper kill that I had felt different. Some people say, oh, you get used to it. I never felt that. Are you at a point right now where you can live your normal life and it doesn't haunt you anymore? I would say I am now. Who's the greatest sniper of all time? Carlos Hathcock, a Marine sniper. That was my idol, and I think that to this day that he is the best sniper godlike figure to me. When he went in to go take out the Viet Cong commander, surrounded by himself, it was basically a suicide mission. When he attached the Unertal scope to the Madu's 50 cal machine gun and sniped and took out a Vietnamese commander, it was like 1.2 miles away. And that was where we get the Barrett sniper rifle from to this day, the semi-automatic. First confirmed versus the last confirmed. Was there a meaning behind the last one? Not my last kill, my last mission. I lost my friend Benjamin Cobb. I almost lost my life, my reconnaissance team, pinned down by an enemy sniper and surrounded and watching the guy come in to save our life and watching him die like five minutes after that. That was my determining factor. I was not gonna re-enlist or anything. My guest today is Nicholas Irving, AKA The Reaper, who is a sniper and not only any sniper, he was the first black sniper in Army's 3rd Ranger Battalion that was deployed in combat. I believe he has 33 confirmed kills in a matter of four months and a tour to Afghanistan. And he, he had a nickname for his, well, I just let him tell you when we get right into it. So Nicholas, having said that, thank you so much for being a guest on Team. Hey, thank you for having me on. So, first of all, thank you for your service, you know, for somebody to get in and, and, and then, you know, you go from Fort Benning, you go to Afghanistan, you got your 33 kills and you're putting yourself on the line and there's a lot of risk on that. But uh, what, what made a person like you say, I want to be a sniper? How does that happen? To be honest, it was, well, I would say Charlie Sheen, but that stems from uh, the movie Navy Seals, but it derives from my dad. Both of my parents were um, in the army. Uh, that's where my parents met. That's where I was born. I was born in Augsburg, Germany, um, while they were both uh, in the military. And seeing my dad at a young age, I had to be maybe four years old. And I watched him raise the, the flag one day um, at his building. And he was wearing the army green uniform. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And it kind of intrigued me ever since then. I wanted to be like my dad. So wearing his military uniform and asking questions and watching movies about the military and reading books. It, it, it started as a very, very, very young kid and my mom and my dad. Wow. 100%. What was your dad's MOS? They were both, uh, they both had the same MOS. They were counterintelligence. So, uh, geez, I don't know exactly, maybe a 90 something. I honestly have no idea what the uh, MOS was, but they were counterintelligence during the, the Cold War. So they like did Morse code and stuff like that. So, so they're, they, I mean, you have to score very high on the ASVAB to get any kind of military intelligence. So your parents are very- Oh, smart. I couldn't do it. Yeah, <laughs> I was not there. I, I didn't qualify okay. to have that job. Yeah, I remember when I went and took my test and they came back with the score, they said, yeah, you got two options. I said, what is it? <laughs> Infantry or Hummer mechanic? I said, you know what? I will play with Hummers a little bit. So I took Hummer oh. mechanic. So- nice. uh, good choice. So, so sniper. So walk me through the, what I, what I don't know of is- so you, you go in, you know, you got boot camp, you know, I don't know if it's nine weeks, 12 weeks, they keep changing it. So whatever the timeline is, then you have AIT, advanced individual training, and then you have any kind of secondary, you know, schools that you take. What is the process of becoming a sniper, if you can walk us through it? Um, 
for my, uh, I was special operations. So the, the, the pipeline or the cycle was a little bit extended. So I did the, you're right. I think it was 14 weeks with the army basic training plus the AIT. Uh, they changed it to where the basic training and AIT is all combined now. And they, they call it OSIT. When I went in, it was one station unit training. I believe it was 14 weeks. And right after that uh, was airborne school. Uh, that's five weeks of, you know, getting used to heights, which I'm, you know, terrified of and learning how to jump out of planes. And uh, you should have five jumps uh, out of right out of airborne school. After airborne school, I went to a selection course for Rangers, which was called Ranger Indoctrination Program or RIP for short. And that was about a that was a month long course of just a physical beatdown, and we had 85, 85 plus guys, our candidates that uh, tried out for this selection, and we graduated seven, uh, six of the original class, and I was one of the, the six from that original class, and everybody else quit or could not make the standards, and from there I went on to my unit, Third Ranger Battalion, and stayed there for six months, did. My first deployment to Iraq, two deployments after that, we would deploy every six months. So we would deploy for uh, three months, four months, and come back and train up for six and keep that rotation up. And I did three deployments to Iraq before I went to uh, sniper school. After that, then I officially, well, I had a few jobs before that. I was a machine gunner, a machine gun team leader. So I had my own little machine gun team and uh, designated marksman, the step or the process or the designator right before sniper you're not officially a sniper you haven't gone through the schooling yet but you have a scoped weapon and you're a, you, you score expert a lot um held that for a little for one deployment before i officially went on to sniper school which was eight weeks long and uh before that i had like our, our unit special operations we had courses we would get sent to so uh private courses um i went through uh, two sniper schools that were not through the military. They were private civilian run from guys who are really, really good at shooting and were like outsourced to whatnot. And so I learned how to shoot, you know, I think the best when it came to precision shooting. Nicholas, um, was that was in the small. state or was that, was that out of the country? Oh, here stateside. Okay. And coincidentally, it, it was here in Texas where I ended up moving to, um, where I got my first case, I guess, for Texas. I had never seen land that flat before. And it wasn't, I don't know, it was beautiful. And that's why I like Texas initially. And uh, yeah, went through two sniper schools in Texas, one in California, a little high angle precision shooting course that was privately run and then to the eight week sniper course. Um, so yeah, it's a long, long, long fight. I, to get that's there. pretty intense. So, so you got your one uh, station unit training, airborne school, you have to jump five times and you go selection. Then you go four months ranger school out of 85-7. You were one of the six third battalion, then Afghanistan, then you deployed three times to Iraq. Then in that process of sniper school, is I is forgot sniper there, yeah, there was a ranger. You totally I blocked this purposely out of my mind. Terrible school. It's brutal. Uh ranger school. So after you know you serve in a ranger battalion, then we go to the 70 or 62-day ranger school. And that's just a, you know, they starve you for, you know, however. 62 days. I lost 35 pounds in that school and I didn't sleep much. So I got sick and it was a bad, bad experience. You normally lose a lot of weight, about 20 pounds, but I lost 35 and had to deploy after that. So 
I purposely forget about that school. So after that, then was sniper school. Then it was sniper. So so sniper school, you know, is is it? You know how you go? Like what I didn't know is you and I can join the Navy, and while we're signing up to go into the Navy, we can say we want to go to Navy, be a Navy SEAL. I didn't know you could do that right off the bat. Right? I thought it's kind of like you go in, and then you say, "Hey, I want to be an 18 Delta. I go become, I'm part of the fifth group or third group or whatever." Yeah, 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 yeah. Navy SEAL. So is sniper something you requested from day one, or was it something that came later on? It came later on. Okay, um, got it. So yeah, like when I first had my contract, I wanted to ask that, but there was no way. They had no idea, you know, if I could shoot. No way of knowing if I could shoot well or anything like that. A team player, if I would even make it. So it was not even an option. I wish it was. I wish it were, but at the time, is there, no. is there automatic elimination that okay? Listen, we like you. You're great, but here's five things that automatically eliminates you from being in sniper school. You know how back in the days they would say if you're colorblind, if you're flat-footed, yeah. if you have asthma. You know all these things they would say. Was there any automatic disqualification of sniper school? Oh yeah, I had my first run-in uh, being colorblind when I wanted my before I wanted to join the army. I wanted to be a Navy SEAL like everybody else does, and. You know, I went into, I did the whole process. I was talking to the Navy rec uh, recruiter. I went through a Navy Sea Cadet Corps. My mom put me through, or, you know, I asked her to be in. And I went through this uh, little program called Baby Seals. And they put you through like a little uh, mock Navy SEAL course. And you, you know, get scuba qualified and all this, at like 15. And I thought that was pretty neat. Wow. And I went into the Navy recruiter and I took the color vision test. And it turned out that I was, 100%, not 100%, but I was red, green, colorblind and completely disqualified me. So I went to the army thinking that I could fool them and somehow cheat this color vision test. Um, not, at, not with the intention of wanting to join the army, but retaking this color vision test and failed it again. But this army nurse was there and she kind of like, I was crying a lot. You know, it was a, a dream that I had of wanting to join the military. And I was crying in the office or the little station where you uh, take your physical at and she saw me crying and she brought me into her office and asked what the problem was and found out that I was red green colorblind so she pulled out this booklet and she traced with her finger all the numbers that I couldn't see and I called them out and she scored me 100% that's how I got into the army <laughs> she helped me out I had no idea what a ranger was until I, rem I remember watching Black Hawk Down but it didn't stand out to me. I didn't find out what Rangers were, and you know, pretty much until I, you know, signed the contract and was going in. So, so, so neither Ranger or neither Sniper was negotiated up front. No, oh, just Ranger. Ranger was negotiated. Oh, so I asked for, I wanted something that was going to be the closest to Navy SEALs as possible. They said Rangers was it, except for Rangers, they don't swim. And I was like, well, perfect, I'll take that. And that's how I became a Ranger. Got it. Yeah, I mean, Ranger is, uh, uh, it's, you know, I, I, I know Rangers and they tell me the story and it's not a... Uh, not easy. Uh, no, 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 not a, I mean, seven on 85, 85 goes 77, come out. That's, uh, th those are the numbers yeah. for you. So sniper school, were there any automatic disqualifications or no? Yes, um, I'm, I don't have 20-20 vision. And so if you have color vision and 20-20 vision, um, if they cannot be corrected, that automatically disqualifies you. Um, I don't think there was anything else as far as being flat-footed. Got it. Uh, but basically, eyesight was the, the number one thing that would immediately disqualify you. 
did they recruit you to become a sniper or did you make the ask? I had to, I had to ask my, okay. my platoon, my first, my team leader, then it went up the chain of command before I could actually become, or put in the paperwork. You have to put in this packet um, that's signed off by your chain of command. You're worthy of going. They trust that you'll go and represent well, and you're a team player or, you know, all these, you know, uh, little pre-qualifications in, in this packet that you have to have submitted to sniper school. They look at it. They only accept so many uh, per year. And that's when the courses start five weeks, eight weeks long. And uh, yeah, day one, it's, you know, the first day I want to take that back. The first day you can get cut pretty easily where they shoot in, it's called a shoot in process where they give you a standard AR M4 rifle, iron sights, no scope on it. And you have to be able to shoot a, a grouping like five inch grouping at, I forget how far, 25 meters or something like that. Um, and if you can't, that immediately disqualifies you day one. It's, you know, your bags are not even unpacked and that can get you disqualified. Right off the bat, day one. Oh yeah, that happened. We had like two guys, our class, who went in and literally bags still packed. The, as soon as we got there, an hour or two, as soon as the uh, class oh, initially wow. started, they were already back home. Yeah. God. So it's pretty quick. It's not like, so, so they're immediately getting it's not like they're getting rid of 50%, but they're getting rid of the bottom 5%, bottom 10%. Oh, yeah. There okay. you go. Yeah, exactly. So so then what was it like? I mean, if you go, is it, it, I'm assuming, I'm assuming sniper school has to be very different than ranger or airborne. Like there's no screaming because it's more poised. You have to stay calm. I'm, I'm assuming it's a different angle. They took different direction they take with sniper school. 100%. It was a... I want to say laid a little bit more laid back. There was rarely anybody that yelled, no, none of the instructors or anything. It was like a personal, uh, it, it was not like what you expect when you turn on and look at like drill sergeants are getting yelled at and stuff like that. It was a really uh, gentleman's course, if you want to call it that. Uh, 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 you're, you're your own, you have your own responsibilities and you know, you're a sniper. You have to get used to working as, one man or two man, very small, small teams and have a lot of responsibilities. So we had a lot of, you know, leeway when it came to that, not a lot of yelling or fussing. The, I guess the, the, the hard portion of sniper school that, you know, really stands out is the attention to detail There there is a lot of attention to detail that is, you know, uh, incorporated with sniper school. It's not all shooting. I would, I would honestly say the shooting portion maybe makes up 20, 30% of all sniper school. Everything else is learning. There's eight hour, 12 hour days of sitting in a classroom, staying awake, watching hours of PowerPoint or going out to the field and learning, you know, how to read the wind or looking for, you know, a toothpick or a toothbrush in the woods with the binoculars and stuff like that. A lot of attention to detail, not much shooting. That was the hard part. Not what I expected. So finding a toothpick or a toothbrush in the woods, like, you, you have yeah. to find it. So you're literally sitting there and you have to find the toothbrush. Yep. So there's a portion called target detection and they place out small objects uh, in the in the field, you know, 100 yards, a couple of hundred yards or however far away in front of you. And you use your naked eyes, binoculars and your spotting scope to find these 10 small objects. It might be a bullet, um, a, a string, a, a military shoelace. Um, toothbrush, small, small stuff like that. Uh, a clear protractor was one I distinctly remember. 
a clear protractor uh, taped to the side of a building. And what made it stand out were the numbers, like the little tick marks that are not normally on the side of a building. So attention to detail, looking for really small things that don't fit, that was really, really, you know, harped on in sniper school. Nicholas, when you go to, when, when I meet a Ranger or a Special Forces or Delta, these are all gun cold guys. Like you look at them, you're like, you, I'm, I'm respect. You know, you see a commonality, studs, Shut up, studs, right? When you see, I know that look. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you, you know, you, but you can see like this makes sense, right? You, this makes mm -hmm. sense. When mm -hmm. when you went to sniper school, th did you see a commonality amongst the soldiers? Like, was it extremely technical? Was it quieter? Was it more shy, reserved? Was it a lot of loners? Was it a lot of you know, I'm not a, you know, I'm more like, like sports, you know, some kids do better yeah. at tennis because it's a one-man game or golf or mm -hmm. boxing mm -hmm. versus team, 20, 30, 40, 50 people. What, what exactly. trends did you notice amongst the snipers? You know, I never really thought about it that, but now looking back at it, that's a really good question. And I would say it's a really, wow, the commonality would be, I would say the loner aspect. Everyone has that I guess they were the nerds or maybe didn't have that many friends in school. Not because of, it was just, they chose to maybe, um, quieter, more reserved people who like to think a lot are people who think more than they talk. You know, I would say that was one of the biggest characteristics of you could tell a sniper. If you put him in the crowd of people, you would be able to tell who the sniper is. They don't look like the chiseled, you know, you know, guy you see on the poster or anything like that. They were just like your average, really, really average, average, average guy. Nothing stand out. Nothing stand out. It's very average guy. Some guys I looked at and I was just like, I don't know what you're doing here, you know? <laughs> but there was but one guy on my team and I'm not like, uh, we all made fun of him, but he was very, um, he, he wasn't, he called, he knew he was not attractive to the eye. You know, and he was just a very average, very below, maybe a little bit below average looking guy, maybe. And but he was the best shot and he outshot everybody on the team. The best shot to this day. If I had to go up against this guy, I would lose the best pure talent, best shot I've ever seen in my life. But as far as looks, you would not be able to tell. And he was really, really heavy in the like uh, WWF. Or WWE. He was into wrestling as a grown man. So it was, uh, that's how average it was. Very interesting. So, you know, yeah. did you did you guys, I'm assuming there's a level of camaraderie build. Is there follow-up till today where you guys keep contact with each other? Is there, is there some kind of a, a, you know, community of snipers being friends together? Big time. Big time. It's a huge unity. I I, I talked to, to my spotter to, uh, to this day, to, uh, not spotter, my original spotter I talked to and I have a friend that was not my spotter, but we were in the same sniper platoon together. We still, we, I mean, hung out for years after we got out the military. We shot at this little facility, help instruct uh, different military units at a facility that we went to go shoot at at one point in our careers and keep in contact. We've been in business together. Um, and it's my old team leader who got shot on a mission that I was in. Uh, he's in, I think he's a preacher now. I want to say he's a preacher, but uh, we keep in contact here and there on on Instagram and, and Facebook and stuff like that. But, yeah, I don't think that there's not one guy or one sniper that I don't 
have contact with, or at least, you know, six degrees of separation somewhere on social media. You know? I bet that makes sense because I mean, how many are there? It's not like it's a community of 300,000 or 600,000 small communities. So, and, and to do that, you have to be part of a very elite community to decide to do that. I mean, it's not easy. I remember going out there, even just trying to shoot something that was, you know, 200 meters away from you, 100 meters away from you, 300 meters from you. And then you're looking at numbers. You got to be, how do you even do that to go, you know, that far with some of the things, you know, you guys do. So now let's, let's go to the other side. Is the mindset of, would you consider yourself a superstitious person or no? Superstitious? I, you know, yes. Would you yes. say that's common amongst your peers or no? I would. I would say so. I think that, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially like on the last deployment. There's a big super, I was big into it. Everybody is that you're going to die. It's, it's, you're going to get shot. You're going to get wounded or you're going to die. It's going to be your worst deployment. And for me, it, it legitimately, it legitimately was my worst, scariest deployment. And it, I noticed that amongst everybody who I saw get out, either they got shot and it was just this thing that happened. And if things would not go right um, before a mission or something was out of place or something didn't happen as normal. Oh yeah. There's a big superstition amongst that Or Friday the 13th. There was one for me. I didn't like doing things on holidays. Um, you know, we, we, we kind of weird me out a little bit doing missions on the holiday. I, I can see that because you know, it, it, there is, it, there's so many attention, like stuff that has to do with details. Like, look, everything's gotta be good for me to feel comfortable to make this. So what is that? You know what? So fast forward to you going on your tours and uh, uh, it's 33 confirmed in four months. Uh, what is the difference between your first confirmed versus your 33rd confirmed? What was the difference between Nicholas on his first versus the 33rd? The, my first one in my career ever, I was 18. I was a machine gunner with my first ever. And my first as a sniper, well, I killed 33 as a sniper, as a machine gunner. I legitimately have no idea. It was a few. I would maybe as much as a, a sniper, maybe a little bit less, but it was a it was a, a bit. And the first one as an 18-year-old kid, I had a dream about it for many, many years. And as a sniper, there was a separation. I think of how close it was, like being able to see something and the intent behind it was more personal. So I had the sniper kills set everything apart from any other kill. And every sniper kill that I had was all weird. Not weird, but they all felt different. Yeah, they all felt different. I never, there was nothing, that feeling that some people say, oh, you get used to it. I never felt that. I never felt used to killing anything. I would have this weird set of emotions that I would go through. And the motto for our sniper community is uh, without warning, without remorse. The without warning part, nine times out of 10 is what happened. But the remorse part for me personally was every single time. I felt some weird way about it. I'm not sure if it you know, derives from coming from a religious background and you know, growing up in, in church and stuff like that. But I was, it was weird. It was a weird experience for me to after the fact, really weird. You're the first person that I've heard say the disposition that, that you have. It's typically the other way around, which is it's part of my job. It's part of my duty, duty and I wanted to be good. And, you know, you know, you know, it's almost like a script that you hear, but you're, you're mm -hmm. saying. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you 
when you were active, did you have contact with your parents? Like, did you talk to your mom and dad? Could you come in? So when the first time it happened as a sniper, did you call your mom and dad and try to process it with them? Like, here's what I'm thinking. How do I handle this? And what feedback no, did that give you? My first kill ever, I, I remember going to, I was in Iraq and I went to uh, across the street to this MWR place. And I forget what MWR stands for, um, but it's the, we had like computers and stuff in there and internet access. Um, we could go in there and, and go online and make phone calls. And I called my dad, my first kill ever. No, I emailed him, then called him. And he told me, hey, don't talk about that stuff. But I was like, dad, I killed somebody. And he's like, hey, don't talk about that. And we never talked about it after, anytime after. But it was my very first kill ever, ever in combat. It was like uh, just a little bit over 18. I was in Tikrit, uh, Tikrit at that point. Yeah, my first deployment to Iraq was Tikrit. Second was, was to Mosul and third was to Baghdad. So Tikrit was my first kill ever. MWR, United States Army Families and Moral Welfare, Welfare and Recreation Programs. There it is. I knew a recreation was in there. Yep, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so you call your dad, and dad says, "Listen, this is not something we talked about." So you're kind of like, "Okay, yeah. I'm going to keep it to myself." Then you go back at it, and you're having 33 total, and each one of them has a different feeling and emotion for it. Are you at a point right now where you can live your normal life and it doesn't haunt you anymore? I am now. I would say I am now. Um, I think that maybe over time, I don't think it'd ever go away because it happened. Like there was a point in time where I never wanted to forget any of this stuff. I thought it was, it was just stuck and I was fine with it. It was who I, it made me who I was at that moment. But then it started to like really affect my personal life and family life. And that guy did not intermingle with this world, you know, too well. So it took some time and it honestly legitimately was the birth of my son. Uh, four years ago, four years ago was the complete 100% turnaround, you know, from being, I had to be, it was just a weird, weird thing. I, from everything I've ever, ever experienced watching my son being born in the room was like, I don't know, it was out of body experience, maybe weird. I've never felt that before. It was just really, really intense, really weird and, and scary. Yeah. Scary at the same time really scared. That was a different scared though, but it changed me in a good way. I just couldn't be, I don't know. It was like, I didn't matter so much anymore. It wasn't being like me. You know what I mean? I didn't have to be me. It was like, I have to be cool for this guy or different for this guy. It was just a weird yeah. trend. It was a weird thing, you know? Nicholas, when's your birthday? What month's your birthday? November, November 28th. Me and my son share the same birthday. And weird, weird, weird thing happened. My son was born, well, he had this heart condition. His uh, heart would skip every once in a while. And my sis, my wife's sister just lost her baby 12, 12, 12 hours after uh, she was born. She had a heart condition as well. So I was, you know, already worried about it. And the doctors were gonna, you know, induce labor the, I think it was December, December 8th is when they wanted to, to induce it. But when I first met my wife 13 years ago, I told her I wanted to have a child no later than 30. And on my birthday is when my son was born. I was like, wow, what so we share the same birthday now. November 28th, in November 28th, 1990 is when I came to America from Germany. You're kidding. No, November. 
I mean, I will never forget November 28th. Oh, you came to, you know what? So did I. I came to America. We moved from Germany in 1990. But yeah, November 28th is uh, yeah, my birthday in 1990s when we moved to uh, Florida in America from Germany. Let me tell you, November 28th, 1990 is when I left Germany and I came to America. You're kidding. No, I was in Germany. By Same a, here. I was in Germany by a military camp in Erlangen that had a refugee camp. And we went from there, November 20, 1990. I came to America, landed in New York, ended up in Glendale, California. Wow. What a crazy. small world. <laughs> wow. wow. What a day. Yeah, wow. November 20. So November 20 has got a lot of meaning for both of us. Your birthday, your oh, son's yeah. birthday. You come in here. And, you know, for me, it's me wow. coming to the States. So you said something earlier. You said when I asked you, I said, tell me about the first versus the last, number one and number you know, 33. And you said, you, I had some. That wasn't even the, from snipers. It was, you know, different that I had to, the, 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 I think you said, the, uh, 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 what was the weapon? Gunner, um, oh, the machine gun? The machine gun, you said. But you said something about the last one. You said the last one was kind of emotional. What do you mean by that? You said something about the last one. My very, oh, my very first one uh, deployed was the most emotional one. I had the most dreams about. It was well, the no, one no, that When, you, when you said the first, first confirmed versus the last confirmed, you said the last confirmed had meaning behind it. You, it almost like the enemy was somebody that took out a friend or something. Was there was there meaning behind the last one? I would say it had more maybe along the lines of the mission with uh, where I lost my friend Benjamin Cobb. If that's the one where uh, we, not my last kill, my last mission where it changed my life, where I was never that was my determining factor. I was not going to you know reenlist or anything. My last mission when. I almost lost my life, my reconnaissance team pinned down by an enemy sniper and surrounded and watching the guy come in to save our life and watching him die like five minutes after that was when, you know, I think was my determining factor. I don't think any kill actually, you know, differed from any other kill. They were all different and all emotional. I had remorse for all of them. I'm not going to say remorse. I felt sad, though. It wasn't. I, I did feel sad. It was a sadness, but not like a sad as in I wanted to cry necessarily. Maybe a emptiness, maybe like it didn't feel good. You know, I don't I don't I don't want to say it felt great. I, I didn't feel good about it. It was just wow. I don't know. It was a weird, weird feeling. Yeah. Interesting. Um, uh, 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 so so your your MK11 rifle, why the nickname? You know, you put the nickname, the modified version of the SR25 sniper rifle, nicknamed Dirty Diana. Dirty why Diana. Dirty Diana? Oh, yeah. Michael Jackson. My okay. first ever memory of Michael Jackson was sitting on my mom's lap, watching him at a concert. He was performing and he rips his shirt off on stage. And for some reason, all that the, the the fireworks and stuff stuck with me and michael jackson fan ever since moonwalking at the age of you know five or six and <laughs> i love i love michael jackson and had michael jackson on you know on my playlist but it derives from this operation we were doing in iraq and my uh this yeah we're riding around in strikers and in the striker it's like a modified i want to say a mini if you think of a mini tank but with wheels there's eight wheels on it, 40 ton vehicle, and I'm the driver. There's someone behind me who's like in charge of looking out on top so I can drive. And we call him the TC. We get into a firefight and this song uh, on his playlist, the iPod, iPad or iPod it was at the time, we had plugged in into the internal speakers and he had Dirty Diana playing in 
on the internal speakers during this firefight in Iraq. And that was like my moment, or I guess my moment where I knew that, I don't know, I was going to name something after it. But at the time, it wasn't a sniper rifle. It was just, I love Michael Jackson. But when I got my rifle in battalion, I had to name it Dirty Diana, just out of remembrance for, you know, Michael Jackson. I, I don't know. I like the song. I don't know. I love Michael Jackson. I wasn't going to name her Billy Jean. Billy Jean would have been, I don't know. Dirty Diana was it though. I like Dirty Diana. That's a that's a very unique name to give your rifle. So, you know, let's go to a different direction with snipers. So, did you did you study like were you one to study who's the greatest sniper of all time? Who the top five? Who the top ten? You know, what do they do? How many confirmed kills? What's the longest distance? Who is this guy? Were you somebody that got into it? Like, were you obsessed? Were you maniacal about it? I was obsessed to the point my dad took my books, my library books away. Oh, what grade was I in? I had to be seventh or eighth grade at the time. I was getting in trouble in school for, I would go to the library and either if I had a library card or I would steal some books and check out a few other ones, but all the military books that revolved around sniping and all the Vietnam uh, special operation guys like SOG, SOG and the old Navy SEALs and I learned Jesse Ventura was a Navy SEAL from like one of these books. And um, one of my idols at the time was Carlos Hathcock, uh, a Marine sniper. And I had video uh, VHS tapes that I would come home after school and watch and was consuming up way too much of my time, uh, interfering with schoolwork and got in trouble for it. But that was my idol. And I think that to this day that he is the best hands down sniper of all time, regardless of numbers. But Carlos Hathcock, in my opinion, is the top of the top when it comes to snipers. But tell, tell me why, because I know he had 93 confirmed in Vietnam. Yeah, 93 and confirmed, confirmed kills. Um, I, his ingenuity and the mission that sets him apart from all, and I idolized him for it, even on my first uh, reconnaissance mission, was when he went in to go take out the uh, Viet Cong commander. He stalked in like a thousand yards on his stomach, surrounded by himself. It was basically a suicide mission and took out a commander, a Vietnamese commander, uh, then had to crawl back out while being chased by a whole brigade or something like that from enemy troops, uh, getting bit by bugs and putting grass and stuff through the back of his, uh, the slits in the back of his, his uniform to essentially make a ghillie suit. His ingenuity was, I think, what set him apart wow. for me. And uh, his, when he attached the uneural scope to the uh, Ma Deuce 50 cal machine gun, and sniped someone off of a, a bike. Uh, one was like 1.2 miles away, I think. And that was where we get the Barrett sniper rifle from to this day, the semi-automatic. He was like the person who invented or threw the theory out there to put a scope on a, on a 50 cal uh, rifle. So I think that is why I put him up there. But that's what stood out in his, his persona about him. He was just a white feather, his persona and I don't know. He's a, a you know, sniper godlike figure to me. Yeah. So I, I looked up a few things to see kind of what the numbers look like. So Craig Harrison, British sniper, killed a Taliban fighter 2,475 meters away. That's a mile and a half in 2009. Like, and then another Canadian, I couldn't find out what the name was. I kept looking to see what's, they won't release his name. Yeah. Okay. Three, I, I know about the first one. Okay. Yeah, the second one is 3,540 meters, which is over two miles. That's the world record, 39 football right. fields. And they're not disclosing the name for whatever reason. So we, if you can kind of put us, 
give us some perspective. What is 2,475 meters or 3,540 meters? My furthest shot is 2,022 meters on a steel target. That took the bullet a few seconds to get there. Let's say, so 1.2 miles, one, well, 2,022 meters, let's say it's 1.1, 1.2 miles. You're looking at flight time, five, six seconds. Uh, five, six seconds of flight time, three, four, five, it depends on the round you're using. Um, let's say 4,000 meters, right? Uh, with the average sniper rifle, 762, that would take the bullet 1.7 seconds to get there. So just under two seconds for 1,000 meters. So amplify that over time to, let's say, 2,000. You have to factor in the fact that the bullet is slowing down now, too. So that 1.2 seconds or two seconds at 1,000 meters doubled. It's like four or five seconds. 3,000? Two miles, that is insane. I would never attempt a shot like that just because what you're looking at in the scope, you would, you that, that's phenomenal. Like, you're not really looking at anything at that point. Imagine looking at the crosshair in the scope, aiming at a crosshair. That's what I, that's what that would look like. It's, to get to that, that is a lot of, that's confidence, confidence and time, confidence. That's confidence. You're saying confidence. Why? Because is there a little bit of assumption and luck behind it? I would say a lot of luck, but confidence to even attempt to take that shot. I don't think I would. If I would. I know who I am. I would have never even attempted that. How far away? The guy's two miles negative. Well, why? why do you say no never? Point. Why do you say never? Why do you say you would never attempt that shot? I'm not. I've never even done math out to that point. I've never shot that far. Uh, don't even, I just wouldn't even do, I'm not comfortable. I know for a fact, if I did hit, I know it would be 100% luck. I didn't mean to hit the guy. I just put it out there. I would pull the trigger if I would take the shot, but if I hit him, pure luck. I would never be able to do that one more time or ever again. I don't know. There's so I mean, much stuff going on. The spin of I mean, the earth at that 2, point. 2,200 meters though. I mean, 2,200 meters is not like it's, I mean, when I, when I earlier said 100, 200, 300 meters, I meant to say 100, 200, 300 yards because there's a big difference between, but 2,200 meters? One mile is not that far. I would say a mile shot, maybe not the average, per, well, of course not, but a mile to a sniper is not that bad. That's not that far. On a human-sized target, I take that back, is pretty hard. That is actually hard. My furthest shot on a human target was half mile, but on a steel target, 2,022 meters, that is pretty hard. That took two shots, but then three shots to get. That is actually tough. But two miles, that is, you're looking at a crosshair through a crosshair or aiming at a crosshair with a crosshair at that point. That's very, very small. Looking at a mile away at a human-sized target is, I'm trying to make a comparison to what that would be like looking at. It's something very, if you stood across uh, your standard size room and maybe looked at the little hole inside of the, Wall socket, that's probably from maybe 30 feet away, that's what that would look like. Yeah. Or maybe the, 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 the head of a nail. Yeah. Very, very small. I mean, what your your eyes, is it then more on your vision? Is it then more on how you set up your, is it then more on your, you know, breathing? What, what, what is, 
like, you know, in bodybuilding, they say it's diet, mm -hmm. then it's how you lift weights, then it's cardio, yep. you say, right? What's the top of the top of being a sniper? Is it, wh what would you put at the top? Vision? Wow. I would say the ability to calm, no, the ability to understand nature. If you don't understand when, or you don't understand the humidity, how the temperature affects the bullet, if you don't have a, a, a really, really good grasp on that, then you won't hit anything. You won't hit anything. The wind could literally, you won't, you could barely feel, feel the wind, but at a mile, you won't hit anything, you, not anything. So you have to have a really, really, really good grasp at the top, math, math and understanding nature. Once you understand nature, then that converts to math, that math converts to the gun, then that goes to the shooter after that. Then it, everything after that, you just pull the trigger. You just lay behind the gun, a slab of meat behind the gun is what we refer, uh, refer to it as, and then pull the trigger. Wow, math is at the top. Oh yeah, big time, big time. A lot of calculus and a lot of geometry, a lot of geometry. Were you good at both of those? What's that? Were you good at both geometry and calculus? No, I failed high school. I graduated with a 1.7 GPA. I'm completely am terrible at math, but it was not the type of math that I had no real, uh, I guess, real intention to even, it didn't excite me. But after learning what you could do with math applied to a bullet, like the Pythagoras, or the Pythagoras theorem or the, oh, what's another equation? Simple equation like A, what is it? A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Um, that equates a lot to like high angle math. Um, if I wanted to shoot off of a rooftop, that's the exact or somewhat the exact equation I would use for that after multiplied by cosines and stuff. But you find out a lot about how to hit a target by using math. Everything inside the scope is all like mil radian anyways. So um, to find the distance to a target, you can use your scope reticle and the little dots in there represent measurements, uh, units of measurement. And that's how I would figure out how far away a target is by looking at the size of a target with these little dots in there multiplied by a number, a constant number, depending on the size of the target, divided by how many dots I see in my scope. And that's how all that math comes out to be. Unbelievable to be thinking about how math, maybe that's another commonality amongst the guys is that you have to be somewhat good at numbers to be able to do what you guys do. Exactly. Level. And I found they're good at working stuff out in their head a lot. That's a, there we go. There we go. Maybe that's why I think the guys are quiet the way they are. A lot of stuff happens up here. There's a lot of talkative stuff, but everything happens up here. So that's what it is. That's what it is. Thinkers. Yeah, there, there it is. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, do you still, uh, do you still uh, uh, carry, you know, do you still uh, have guns and you go shooting still? Is it still part of your life? Literally. An hour and a half before I started this interview, I was at the range. <laughs> oh, yeah. What do you do full time now? What's your full time gig today? Write books, write books. I write yeah. other people's books and I just now have enough time to where I can work on uh, the stuff that I want to work on. Not so much like military, but, you know, the things that used to excite me as a kid, you know, like fiction or, or you know, uh, science fiction and stuff like that. And. Uh, history and you know books that may not pertain so much towards combat you know but things that intrigue me
I tell you, you got an impressive resume. For a guy that had a 1.7 GPA, becomes a sniper who needs to be good in math, and then <laughs> after leaving the Army, becomes an author, then needs to write. So, so whatever that 1.8 GPA God, was, me. maybe not a lot of accuracy behind it. Uh, 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 fi final question here about uh, uh, your four-year-old son one day comes up to you. He's 18. He says, Dad, I want to be a sniper. What do you tell him? Do you encourage him or discourage him or let him do whatever he wants to do? I would tell him, yes, only under one condition. It's for the Olympics. You can mm -hmm. be the precision shooters in the Olympics. Those The, the ones that, that ski are, they cross-country ski yeah. and then they yeah. shoot. Yeah. He could do that. I would train him, I'd invest all the time I ever needed if he only did that. But to take another life, absolutely, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So you would 100% discourage him? 100%. 100%. I've changed. After, I'm telling you, I've changed my views on a lot. Like there was a point in my life where I lost spirituality. You know, I questioned a lot, a lot. And having the birth of him and, and getting, seeing things differently and understanding things differently, getting back into spirituality and the understanding of how things work and how much you need different things in life. I just don't, I don't see the need to want to put that. If he were to take another life and how it would affect him potentially after the fact, you know, I was able to, I feel that I'm able to, or was able to recoup or recover from the, the, the mental aspect from it and move on. But for some people, it's not that easy. And I just wouldn't want that burden to be on anybody, you know, let alone my son. So I've changed my view on that. I think that there's a time like for, for, for sport. I think it's great. No issue with it. And if it was the last resort defending my family, but to, to take life, I, it, it's, it's weird. It's a weird experience to live through. And I just don't think it's right. I think we should step away from killing for a little bit and love, love everybody for, you know, give that a try for a second. I, I, I think America definitely needs to work on that a little bit the next few years. Oh yeah. See how that helps us out. We need to maybe listen to a little bit more Bob Marley and a little bit more Easy E or yeah. maybe get off a little bit of Tupac for a couple of years. I don't know. We can we can hang out. We can hang yeah. out, man. <laughs> Come to Texas. Well, I got it. Well, I, I I know you're a big fan of San Antonio. It sounds like you're a diehard San Antonio guy yourself. So. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Charles Barkley. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh but anyways man i really enjoyed talking to you seriously i really enjoyed talking to you that was fun uh thank you for your service thank you for just being you and transparent what an incredible story for people that are watching this i know you got another uh real cool uh skit that you did with Insi insider where you're talking about 11 sniper movies are they real are they not real and that's oh, yeah. kind of how we found you you know that popped up i'm like what a great story you know let's get them on and Kai awesome. recommended you, and I'm so glad we had you on. Brother, thank you so much hey, for thank your you. time. Thank you. Much appreciated. Take care, buddy. You too. 33 confirmed kills. Wouldn't recommend his four-year-old son to be a sniper if he wanted to be one. Every single one of the confirmed messed with his head a little bit up until the kid was born, son was born four years ago. Just a very genuine guy that you could tell he was thinking about the right answer, the most accurate answer to give during the interview. I enjoyed it a lot. Curious to know what you took away from it. Comment below. And if you enjoyed this interview, I think you will also enjoy the interview with Taya Kyle, who was the wife of Chris Kyle, the American sniper played by Bradley Cooper. If you've never watched that one, it's a very, very different angle. Click over here to watch that interview. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.